Guys, this week I got John Stallone, somebody I've wanted to get on for a long time. Here we go. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, the host, and I'm coming at you from the Broken Tine Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. Hope you guys are doing good. I've uh, got a great episode lined up today because it's somebody that I've been following for a long time and somebody I've uh, wanted to get on the show for quite a while. Uh, he's got a lot of hunting experience and insight and perspective that I think a lot of you guys are going to really benefit from. Uh, and let's get into it. John, I appreciate you coming on the show. I don't know how we haven't connected before this, but uh, I appreciate you being on, man. How you doing? I'm, I'm, you know, mostly good. <laughs> like I, mostly good. Yeah. Tell I, us, tell yeah. us uh, what's going on there. It's uh, yeah, interesting. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I got coronavirus and I've been uh, in, in the midst of this dealing with uh, my whole family having it and then yeah. me having it and trying to run my businesses, my, my guidance service and my, uh, my pool business from the house and dealing with all this anti-hunting stuff that's going on. And, uh, <laughs> and man, then, it's been, I've been juggling plates and, and spin. I'm always doing that, but it's so much harder when you're, <laughs> you're not a hundred percent. Oh right? man. Tell me about so, it. And then to top I, it off, I, I, I drag you on a podcast to <laughs> get, no, get you up more. No. No, I mean I enjoy this stuff, and I, I'm gonna apologize now to listeners if I'm not very quick, quick witted, because I do have that. That is, there is a thing, and I, I didn't, you know, of course I wouldn't know until I until I got it, but um, there really is a thing called the uh, COVID brain or COVID fog or whatever. Man, yeah, it's pretty. I'd be up shit's creek, dude, if I got it because I'm already I already have a fog in my mind just to, it's just my normal fog. So if I had COVID, I'll bet you you're faster with COVID than I am without it. <laughs> so, we'll see. So don't we'll worry see about how it. this episode goes. <laughs> so, you already built me you already built me up too much on that intro, man. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to live up to it. <laughs> nah, I think I think you got it, dude. You got you got tons of experience doing this stuff, a lot more than I do. So I'm I'm looking forward to it, man. I appreciate it and uh I, I want to, for, for anybody, and, and I say this a lot, but anybody living under a rock that doesn't know who you are, uh, give us a bird's eye view of who you are, where you're at, uh, how you grew up, and, and we'll kind of take it from there. Sure. Um, well, I'm a, I'm, a son, I'm a son of immigrant, uh, Italian immigrants. I was born in Brooklyn. I uh, grew up hunting whitetail back east, started hunting at five years old when my dad actually got to take my first deer when my dad is five years old, uh, which I tell people very often, I don't recommend that. I almost scarred me for life shooting a, shooting a rifle that, of that caliber. Uh, it wasn't the death <laughs> thing. It was the actual impact of the rifle. To yeah, the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I moved to Arizona when I was 16. So I've been living here for 31. Yeah. 31 years now. 
Jesus. God, that's a, that some I was just talking to somebody on the show not very long ago that had a similar move to that where it's like you go from Brooklyn or or some big metro area back east to Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. God, and at the time that? when I moved out here, man, it was it was still the Wild West. Like mm-hmm. it, Yeah. What year was that? It was so 1990. 1990? Not not to age yeah. you, man. Not not to give away your yeah. age, but you know. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. been uh, it's been some, you know, and and like there was, it was kind of culturally the culturally devoid out here, from what I was used to. But mm-hmm. the one of the things that my family enjoyed doing, we used to go upstate New York or go out on Long Island and bird hunt and, and deer hunt and this and some that. And now that was like fifteen twenty minutes from my house. I didn't have to like make a trip, you know. What part of Arizona uh, did you guys move to? I, uh, Scottsdale. Oh, now okay. Scottsdale is you. I mean, unfortunately, you do you barely hunt. There's some bow hunting in city limits now in the metro zone uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. for javelina and for deer, but uh, and you could do coyote and stuff like that. But I think my not buddy, a whole lot. I think my buddy not Justin Swagger lives down in uh, Scottsdale. Uh, I was in the Marines <laughs> with him. Anyway, um, anyway, yeah, I don't know his. I don't know that name, but. Um, Scottsdale's a huge place now. You know, I, and that's what I was going to say. I, I think it's a, I think it's a metropolis. Yeah, sure. like 20 years ago, <laughs> that you guys may have known each other because of the size or whatever. But yeah. I, like, it's just <laughs> sprawling now. I can't believe it when I fly into Phoenix how big that area is anymore. It's crazy. It's crazy big. Uh, it's like the fifth largest in the country, I think. Mm-hmm. So, but um, yeah, so I moved out here. Um. I mean, as far as haunting is concerned, like I said, I haunted my whole life, but I've been a professional and a hunter being paid to hunt in some way, shape or form, mm-hmm. uh, either through writing or as a guide or whatever since 2001. So for over 20 years, oh, wow. um, I've been actually podcasting since before it was even popular, I think 14 years ago or something like that I did my first podcast. What was, um, uh, can I ask you something about that? Sure. Like yeah. four, 14 years ago doing a hunting podcast, what, what was listenership like? Like, was there, what was, what were the download numbers looking like back then? You know what? So it was, it was very different because I only did it. I, I didn't, even though iTunes was there. Okay. Uh-huh. Cause podcasts, the reason why podcasts became podcasts is because it was a way for you to download something onto your iPod and take it with you. That's a podcast. Mm -hmm. That's the definition of what the podcast is. Um, But I, I used to do the podcast. I used to do these little radio show basically. Um, And it was downloadable only from my website for the members of the hunting channel online. So I own the hunting channel online along, along with a number of other hunting related stuff, the hunting film festival, a few other things i got my I had my hands and everything I, mm-hmm. I had a tv show um i had a tv show from 2004 or 2005 to 2016 um been a writer for many many magazines and uh-huh. uh content coordinator certain certain different uh publications and so on and so forth so i i've been around I've been around a mm-hmm. lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the podcasting thing, I did one a month for like six or seven years. And then 
six or seven years ago. I know I did it for six years. I took two years off. And then six years ago, I, I released it again to the public and I did it through, you know, iTunes and Podbean and whatever, you know, the way everybody else is doing it now. So did you, did you take all the episodes that you had previously recorded and throw them on there or did you, did I only start? threw a, I threw on like the first 10 just because uh-huh. I had read somewhere. It was smarter to, uh, you know, Get launch with, of, yeah. Yeah. To launch with a few. And I was like, Oh, I don't even, I only recorded like one, but I'm like, so I, <laughs> I let it. And at the time, my show for the uh, hunting channel was called interviews with the hunting masters. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I, I, I did it when I first brought it out to the public. That's what I, you know, that's what I left the name as. Uh-huh. And I was like, it was always battling me, battling me, battling me. I'm like, why? You know, it seems so like, I don't want people to be off put, you know, because I have had people like, oh, this guy thinks he's a hunting hunt master, da 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 da, you know, and it was kind of like pretentious or whatever. So mm-hmm. uh, I think three years ago or four years ago, I decided to, which I should have did from the get go, to be honest with you. I, I changed the name to Days in the Wild because Days in the Wild is the name of my outfitting service mm-hmm. the name, was was the name of my TV show and the name of my blog. So it just made sense to make it all the same, right? You sure. Yeah, yeah. But um, so I finally did that. I was afraid to do that because there's some, you know, I had I had a bunch of you know viewers or listeners rather, and I had a bunch of followers and whatever within that with the first name and all that stuff, and I was afraid to lose it. Um. So technically, if you go to like Podbeam, you'll still see it'll still say the URL, still say interviews with the hunting masters, even though the title of the show stays in the well. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I just that's what I end up doing. I end up keeping it like that so I wouldn't lose. Hmm. I know, like it. Yeah, it's probably a good when idea. I, when I rebrand <laughs> it, so to speak. Yeah. 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 So uh, getting but, back uh, to coming from Brooklyn to Arizona, that's that's always like fascinating to me because. It's not like you went, you know, from Brooklyn to Manhattan or from, you know, uh, New Mexico to Arizona. I mean, it's a it's a big difference, especially back in the day before we had Internet and all this connected activity going on. And, you know, uh, we're talking 1990. Um, Were you excited to move out there out west or, or was was it like a negative thing? What what was that like for a 16 year old? Well, I mean, of course, I had my friends and I had my life. And actually, at the time, I lived in Long Island. So I moved. I, I kind of skipped over this. I went from Brooklyn to Long Island. Long oh, gotcha. Arizona. So I lived in the burbs. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I man. I, I'm ignorant enough that I, I don't even know the difference between uh, Long Island and uh, Long Island. Long Island is like <laughs> the suburbs. Okay. There's deer hunting. Okay. I, hunt, I go back to hunt deer in Long Island every year, almost. Okay. Gotcha. My, my wife's from there, too. So we go spend time. I've. I've Killed my fair share of whitetail out there. It's a lot of good deer hunting. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, but uh, I had one really good positive thing going for me is that my cousin Paul and my cousin Anthony, who I was closer with than anybody, uh, had moved to Arizona the year before. So when I got here, I already had friends i already had you know people to hang out with and show me the ropes and so it was a very easy transition for me my my sister on the other hand had a little bit harder than me but um Mm -hmm. yeah other than that it was 
it was the best thing my dad ever could have did for us. I mean, it was it was nuts <laughs> back yeah. then. Even you know, in the in the nineties, my dad was paying eight thousand dollars a year in taxes or something crazy like that. And in Arizona, it was less than a thousand. Huh. You know, so huh. I was like, you know, just cost of living, all this stuff was it just made sense for us oh, to move. For sure. right? Yeah, and get us out of get us out of New York. But anyway, huh? Yeah. What was Hunting wise, what were you most excited about about moving to Arizona? I know some of these questions they kind of sound like you know some canned questions, uh, interview questions or something, but I'm I'm genuinely curious about that. You're 16, yeah. you're you're already a hunter. All of a sudden you're in you're in a western state, and and of all western states, you're in Arizona. You've got you've got this high timber com- country down to you know uh, desert kind of kind of landscapes there's coos deer there's muleys there's uh whitetail there's elk there's you know yeah. all these new things what were you most excited about well I mean, honestly it was elk because that wasn't something i got to do i mean yeah mule deer were exciting to me mm-hmm. but at the time i didn't really i just looked at it like oh that's you know it's another deer or whatever but elk was something new and different and iconic of the west even though you know like you like i said mule deer is definitely up there too. Yep. Oh yeah. I, uh, you know, when I first moved out here, my, we did a lot of, did a lot of bird hunting. My uncle was a driving force in us hunting because my dad, right about the time we moved out here, my dad kind of gave up hunting. Mm -hmm. He always had a, he always had an inner thing that I keep, Enjoyed eating the animals. He enjoyed nature, enjoyed going out, but mm-hmm. he never had, never. And he, he was really good at it, like really good at it. For somebody who never had any training or had any anybody really show him the ropes, he had really good instincts. My dad was always the guy that tagged out back home, <laughs> back east, you know, before the rest of his brothers or whatever. And so he kind of gave up hunting. Like, but he would go bird hunting. He wouldn't, he just would gave up big game hunting and then eventually gave up bird hunting too. And now he just goes and chases it with his camera. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he's still pro hunting. He still believes in hunting. He just can't pull the trigger himself anymore. Gotcha. So that's yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I know a lot you know, of people like that. And um, I was, so when we first came out here, the, the big game hunting for me was, was kind of slow. It wasn't until, my uncle was introduced to the elk hunting stuff from because uh, he's in the construction world from guys in, in construction that he worked with and so on and so forth. We went on a couple trips and, you know, right about that time, too, was okay, I'm in high school and then high school into college. The, the first couple of years, the first four years or so, hunting was something I, just, I did like most people do here, you know go once or twice a year you know i was too busy chasing two-legged deer more more uh, what was, yeah, well, yeah. that's what was going on i was sure, really just sure. interested in getting girls you know more more of a pastime and, less of a lifestyle right. yeah so about 23 years ago i'd say by the time i was 22 23 uh just coming out of college i started um, so here's the other thing is nobody bow hunting nobody knew how to show to shoot a bow in my family but me um, that was something that I, I tried back East, um, and, and had success with, and, um, I was always a good archer in school and all that other stuff. And so like, then once that, you know, 
once I started doing that and I started, you know, getting my cousins involved in that, then it just like wildfire. Then it became, you know, for the last 20 something years, 90 plus days a year in the field. Yeah. So, uh, Side note question on that. When when you first got to Arizona and, you know, you were all excited about elk, was that back then to get a tag in Arizona, was it as difficult? No. Uh, it, it was easier. To, was it like over-the-counter kind of stuff? Or? No, no, it wasn't over-the-counter. It definitely was not over-the-counter. Not, not that time. Um, <laughs> but you can get a tag every couple of years. Oh, okay. Yeah. So not, not a huge deal. Uh, and if, if for an archery tag, you could was fairly – fairly easy to get one there's you can like, get a rifle to a late rifle tag you can get almost every year yeah yeah there's like there's like units in arizona i'm i'm 41 uh-huh. years old and i don't think if i started putting in today i'd ever draw a tag in my life for for yeah. some of those units and you know that sucks but do you have points here no i don't have any points there well no that's not true oh. i might have one point i think i have one point but, well, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna do. We're not, we're not gonna talk about it on this podcast because this is a little secret for you. And okay. uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. But uh, I'll I'll take you hunting out here. Sweet, I'll get you an Sweet. I, I I like you a lot more already. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you an elk tag. But um, it, you know, it's the thing about Arizona is. One thing that people need to understand is that most of the people that are from out of state wanting to come here are chasing the Arizona experience, right? So they want those top tier units. They want the bull screaming in their face. They want, you know, the chance of the 400 inch bull. Mm -hmm. So the great thing about Arizona is there's a 400 inch bull in every unit, (laughs) I've heard that. I've heard, and I don't want to. I don't want to like promote it too much on the show. But I have yeah. heard. I, I think there's a lot of legitimacy to what you're talking about, and it's. I don't know. There's there's. I always have a hard time with you know what what a lot of people call these prime <laughs> units. Yeah. And, well, and the, the difference is the amount of those. You know, where be on if you go to unit, if you go to unit nine, okay, which is managed for trophy quality, right? Mm-hmm. Or managed for age class you are going to see multiple multiple elk from that 360 to 380 range. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You're going to yep, see yep. quite a few. Where in, let's say, a unit like, I don't know, 6A, which is an opportunity hunt, right? It's the highest density of elk in the state, also the highest amount of freaking tags, ridiculous amount of tags. <laughs> Can you see a 380 bull? Can you see a 360 bull? Absolutely. But you're going to pick through those 280s and 300s for two weeks straight before you like, oh, there he is, you know? So that's the difference. So, you know, and and you know as well as I do that, especially when you're talking about archery, it's an at-bat game, right? Yep. The the more opportunities you have, eventually you're going to do the right thing in that animal's going to make the wrong decision and you're going to succeed, right? Sure. But if you don't have multiple opportunities and you only got one swing, right? <laughs> then yeah, the chances yeah. so that's the difference right there. Gotcha. You, know, you can't you can't go into a hunt with an expectation when it's an opportunity hunt. Mm-hmm. But 
you can go in with an expectation. And I always caution people not to go in with expectation, period. Like, I, I just know, went through that right now in, in Utah. Like, I got – I won one of the conservation tags at the Hunt Expo, and I got oh, – wow. Books. That's a great I got a Books Cliffs. Oh, yeah, I got a Books Cliffs Hunt. And for, for elk or for deer? For deer. And I shit you not. I went five days, and I saw maybe four bucks, and – I oh, think really? the biggest buck I saw was 125. And oh, it wow. wasn't until the buck that I shot. I mean, I shot a nice buck. But that was a that was a unit that you books cliffs was, you know, sought after for the 200 inch bucks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's like and, that's like one of those another one of those almost once in a lifetime kind of kind of units down in the book cliffs from what I remember. But it is, it is once in a lifetime. Yeah, that that yeah. that one was always hard to get when because I grew up in Utah. Yeah. Um, and I, I've hunted out there back before, back before it was, you know, like a once in a lifetime kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it, you, you got, if you, it's a migration hunt, you know, so yep. if you don't have the right weather, then those deer are not going to be there and you're not going to see. So like you, you have all these expectations. So I had already gone in there with it, with the mindset in my head. I was, I was like 170, you know, that was my, that was my benchmark. By day four, I had lowered it to 160. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. day five, I was talking myself out of shooting a 150. And that was the first big buck that I saw, like, you know, mature buck that I saw was that 150. And then later that afternoon, I ended up glassing up the buck that I ended up killing. And, uh, yeah. You know, so it's... I ended up getting a good deer, but I didn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it definitely wasn't what it was, you know was made out to be it makes me it makes me think of what you were talking about earlier like utah is is one of those states where yes it's it's great to get a tag in the pontagon or out in the book cliffs or or i think the henry mountains or whatever but if you're going after big mule deer utah is a highly underrated state uh, yeah people, there's big muleys everywhere yeah there's like dude there were you wouldn't believe the bucks i saw in my backyard in draper utah you know, and 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 I'm sure they're still there because nobody actually hunts around there anymore. Unless some of you guys hunt that Wasatch archery tag. Listen, anyway, I don't want to give too many details away. I'm not trying to uh, ruin your hunting down there, Utah. But uh, I, I am telling you, like it is one of those states where if your expectations are managed and you know how to be patient enough and and are determined enough to get to the right places in terms of where big mule deer live. You can mm-hmm. find a 160 or a 170 or a 180 in pretty much the entire state. Um, Absolutely. And, and it's it's Same great. Same goes here in Arizona. Yeah, Same yeah. Same goes here in Arizona. Oh, People yeah. People always ask me, oh, which unit, which unit, which unit, which unit, which unit. I'm like, throw a fucking Pick dart, one. bro. Pick one out. Go. Throw a dart. I think, yeah, a Seriously. lot of people spend way too much time and worry about I – like, I like what you said, worrying about your expectations or setting your expectations too high. And that goes for anywhere. It, it Not a year – I have this Facebook group. Uh, that I started a few years ago called North Idaho Archery Hunters, right? Because I'm, I'm up mm-hmm. in North Idaho. And every year, it never fails. Somebody jumps on there and there's like, what's the best unit to hunt? Well, uh, oh, oh, no, they, they say it like this. What what unit is going to give me the best opportunity at a 300-class bull or better? Kind of Something along those lines. Right, right. And it's like, you know, you're, A, you're in North Idaho. That w- We don't have... 300 yeah. class bucks ru- or bulls running around all over the damn place. However, not anymore. Comma, not anymore. 
Um, we have this thing called wolves. No, I'll, yeah. that's a whole other topic. No, it's but, the truth. That's the truth. <laughs> oh, it's total <laughs> truth. Yeah. Twenty years ago, there was great elk up there. Oh man, yeah, it was. I it was digress. Fantastic. We're not getting into that. Fantastic. Well, that's that's always a that's always a popular topic on this show. We can always talk wolves, but uh, getting getting back to what they're they're talking about, what I wanted to kind of kind of say is. There is opportunity in all Panhandle North Idaho units for to find a 300 class bull, but it's not something you're going to see every day out there. Right. And and it's not going to be easy. Like you got to put the work in. And too many people I see running around up here don't get off their four wheelers and leave the roads. And and you're not going to call a 300 class bull to the road. Sorry, ain't going to happen, Captain. So I, I'm curious. Anytime I talk to a guide somebody who guides for a living, whether they do it full-time or if they just, I've got a lot of friends that kind of dabble in it. They, you know, a guide service will call them and say, Hey, I need, I need, I need you to come out and guide for these clients. I'm, I'm overbooked kind of thing. Right. Um, how, what made you want to do that, man? Like get, talk to us about how you got started in that and like what, what the, what the reason or, or motivation behind being a guide is. Well, I originally started just like you just said, you know, I got my guide's license to help out friends who had um, outfitting services or whatever, and they needed help here and there. And I, you know, they'd always ask me, I'm like, well, I can't really do it legally, man. And so I got my guide's license. The other thing was too, so when I quit the hunting channel, um, I had, I would do hunt giveaways. Uh-huh. Um, and I kind of came to a point where, I was like, I might get in trouble guiding somebody, even though I'm not taking money. And I, so I was like, all right, I just got to get my guys lessons. So I did that. But the reason why I started my own outfitting service um, was mainly because of my father-in-law. We were having a conversation. Did, did some you years say your back. father-in-law? Correct. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. And uh, some years back about uh, retirement exit strategy, he was wanting to, retire soon and da 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 so between him and i had these two kids working for me um uh, shane and jake and they were pushing me like yeah john come on you should start your own and we can you know we can guide and this and that i'm like so and i and i kind of went for it went for it and i i was like listen we're just going to be like the boutique guide service and i kind of keep it small and i still do because of that um i don't want to have you know, just guides upon guides that I don't have influence on, uh-huh. you know, and um, that's kind of I don't it's, it, I, I know that was a roundabout way of getting to get into, but I kind of got into it mainly because people were kind of pushing me to do it. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, I think and, and I, I was think like, that's right, how a lot I'll of guides are. Yeah. So now that I started it and, you know, I'm, um, you know, I like to keep keep things going. It was going well. So I just. Like I keep it small and just keep going with it. I try not to. We try to take. I have a very. Uh, I don't know what the word is. Selection process, maybe. Mm-hmm. I have a, a good selection process for my my clients. Um, they don't hire me. I hire them. <laughs> <laughs> so when when people call me and they they start telling me what they want and so on and so forth, um, I can automatically tell right off the bat. If this is somebody that is going to be a good fit for us, so give me give me an example of somebody you wouldn't hire as a client. Like they call you up and they're like, "Hey John, 
I want the, a 400-class bowl. Yeah, the first thing out of their <laughs> mouth is what, what size they want. Oh, gotcha. And Not like, like they're ordering a, off the menu at Denny's or something. Exactly. <laughs> Just because I, I know, I know, and I, I'm, not a, I'm not a snake oil salesman, right? So I don't want to feed them a load of bullshit. And sure. then I'm not going to produce. Like, that's, that's going to suck, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to get paid, and he's going to go on his merry way and probably still be happy with whatever he gets. And whatever but i'm not gonna feel good about it and i'm not so i'm always like if i'm i'm always gauging people like going back to the expectation gauging people's expectations gauging their abilities and all that stuff so i'm like okay this is a good fit so if they're not a good fit right on the get go i don't try to sell them you know what i'm saying sure like, i don't tell them what they want to hear and usually they don't go with me that's so so by everyone's by while, doing that, still go with me, but you're, I, you know, you're weeding them out by allowing them to weed you out, kind of thing, because you're not you're not exactly. you're not a used car sales guy lying to people. So no offense to any used car salesman out there. It's it's just no, an no, expression. But it's, it's, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> just an expression. So. I, I said that like a year ago on the podcast, and I had I had somebody email me saying, I don't know what you're implying about calling somebody a used car salesman. Well, it's just a, you know, my grandpa yeah. used to say it too. Like, you yeah. know, it's just, it's, a, just a, it's an old thing. It's an yeah. old thing. Yeah, I, sorry, yeah. sorry. You know, have thicker skin and don't be worried about it. So, um, I, I'm, I, again, yeah, I, I'm just always intrigued with this. And like, cause I, I, I was, I was super, super close to be becoming this fishing or fly fishing guide, uh, kind of in the Jackson Hole Island Park kind of circle area. Mm-hmm. And anyway, the the pay was pretty decent, but I I have like this thing where I'm I don't have a lot of empathy, I, I think, for client type services, mm-hmm. or to yeah, or, or to put it in another way. I don't have a lot of patience for the general public that uh, that I think they would piss me off. Some people would piss me off unless they're yeah, you, know, you have to be you have to be service minded. Yeah, yeah, you and know, I'm not I'm, I'm not minded. super service industry minded, and I I, I think that's well, why. Yeah, I, I was a waiter for many years. I, I you know. Oh, see, yeah, that's I, a great see, example. That, I, I could have not that do same that. Same mentality. Yeah. I could not you do that. that I, I, I'd, I'd lose my shit on people. But at the same time, like it's it's a it's a situation like if if I if I meet somebody new and and we end up going to lunch together and it's a it's a person that treats the waiter or waitress poorly, we are not friends after that. And so I, it's this weird thing with me where I can't do that, but it, it is it is a necessary thing for people to treat people that do do that kind of stuff. With respect, I guess, and I think that that would be my problem with being a guide is they would, I, I, and maybe I should ask you instead of making just a, a generalized uh, assumption. Um, does that work that way? Like you'll get a client that has this like entitled mentality that you're there to serve them the whole time and put them in front of a certain sized animal and make it this easy and that easy and, and blah blah blah. I don't know how to how to ask that. Does it make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I don't know. It's 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 almost a <laughs> it's almost an art form, I guess. What I don't know. what about what about asking this as hmm. as a as a public um, service to fellow guides out there? Yeah. Uh, what what does a a really good really uh, rewarding guiding experience with a client look like what what does a good client look like 
somebody who comes there with a great attitude that's appreciative um, of everything, the experience, mm-hmm. and wants to be out there for the experience, and somebody who is what's the word I'm looking for? Somebody who treasures your your knowledge and wants to listen to you, wants to be successful, but knows that, you know, success doesn't always mean, you know, wrapping your tag around an amp. Yeah. And those guys are usually the guys that come out and A, get something. B, those are the guys that you will rebook with you for other hunts. Um, it's always the person that's so focused. Like I said, it's usually the person that's focused on him, like interest that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't want to, like, that's not everybody. Cause there's guys that are focused on interest just because they've, let's say they've shot everything before that, you know, and they just, they just want to get to the next level. There's that guy too. Um, and, and but, there's nothing wrong with that, I, I, but it's 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 different when you set so many a people that are awesome. You know, like yeah, I've, it's, I've come it's across just, so many awesome people in this industry, like uh, you know, guiding them and 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 just talking to people. Call me all the time, and we do tag, mm-hmm. you know, uh, excuse me, te- the draw stuff. You know, I I get people putting people in for tags and whatnot. We got draw service, so I'm always talking to people about stuff like that. It's just about going back to whatever you said, just figuring out what their expectations are, figuring out where they're at, you know, because there's so many times they're like, oh, I want this or this. And I'm like, all right, so how many bonus points you got? I got two. Well, (laughs) Well, call me in 15 years. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, it's not call me in 15 years. It's like this. We got a long road ahead of us. We're going to put in. We're going to do this. We're going to shoot for the fences. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I had a guy here. Um, was a was a local guy actually. He was he had put in with me for three years, so he had three bonus points. And he's like, John, what do you think we should do? I'm like, All right, like let's stick with the the program here. Let's shoot for the fences. So one great thing about Arizona is you always have a mathematical chance to get a tag on the random draw if there's enough tags for that. Yeah. For an out of state hunter or in state hunter, whatever the case may be. For that species. Mm-hmm. The only time that kind of like messes you up is when we're talking about sheep because there's some units only have one tank, right? So yep. there won't be a random. But um, anyway, so he drew. He drew. We swung for the fences and he got the the golden goose. You know, so it happens. It happens. Mm-hmm. I've drawn guys for sheep with three points. Like it happens. So. Um, it's about having a plan and sticking to the plan. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I like that. We, we, de- we develop a plan and, and a lot, a lot of things what I'll do is I'll be like, okay, you want to do this, right? You want to come and you want to haunt the strip, right? So why don't we put you in every year for the strip and whatever as your second choice and you come and hunt over the counter archery deer with me every year. Because then, by the time we draw the strip tag, A, you're going to know what the hell you're doing. B, you know, you're going to know what to expect. You know, that might be an extreme thing, you know, because obviously somebody got to come out and hunt 16 years, 17 years, whatever. But, you know, we do stuff like that all the time. Mm -hmm. 
you're like, oh, yeah, you want to draw a Coos rifle tag? Cool. Why don't you come out and archery hunt with us for two, three years? You'll have enough points. We'll draw the tag. Cool. And that works. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. A, no. it's, a it's good for me. You know, business-wise, obviously, I'm having, I'm not letting a potential client go. But the main part about it is they really they get an understanding how things work. Because if you can follow the processes during the archery hunt, and we get you a rifle hunt, we're going to come home with some good. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that's usually how it works. But. Well, and learning how to manage your expectations, it, it comes from experience. And the the thing that I, I, I like about that process, or actually going back to what we were talking about, is there's a, there's a difference between an experienced hunter who has reached a level that wants to push him or herself to reach the next level and sometimes whatever. And that's however they define that. And a lot of hunters, how they define that is the most mature, uh, you know, mule deer or bull or whatever. And, and that's a lot different than somebody who's never hunted that has this expectation that because they're paying a guide, it's, it's as easy as, as ordering something on Amazon or something. The guide knows where this big 400 inch bowl is. And that's what I expect mm-hmm. him to put me in front of. And so I, I think that that's, that's the difference of what, what I'm talking about. And interestingly, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cruising your, um, your Instagram here and mm-hmm. like, there are some massive freaking mule deer on here, dude. And these things, they, they, there's a bow sitting on them. Like you guys are getting these things with a bow. And, um, that, that's a question I have for you in your experience, mm-hmm. somebody, cause you guide for what, uh, deer elk, I'm assuming deer, elk, sheep, deer, um, elk, sheep and predators and javelina. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really do, uh, antelope here in Arizona. I don't feel comfortable taking people's money cause it's not something that I, uh, <laughs> keep track of yeah yeah you know I, I even know, though we I have great antelope hunting here oh yeah right? totally if i just it's just it's hard for people to get tags and it's hard i mean it's just like sheep sheep's hard to get tags but at least i enjoy going to watch sheep here and there just to go watch them so so but, with your with your guiding experience though with with that is what is your experience or what have you found to be more more of a difficult hunt, I guess, is one way to. I always hate using that in that way. But what's more of a difficult hunt in your experience, like a big mule deer with a bow, or a decent bull elk with a bow? Hmm. I think mule is harder than elk. I would think so too. Well, it depends. On, it depends on the season. Just because with a bow, I'm talking about with a bow. Um, yeah. No, I mean like, like early season. Or, so we have a early archery and we have a late archery, right? Uh-huh. Um. And depending on the unit, like I've killed myself personally, I've killed two bulls in that late archery hunt. I've had I've had the tag three times and I've killed twice. Um, and it's like hunting deer, you know. You're you, we hunt it the same way, but I still, you know, I they're like 280, 280 bulls, something like that. But I wasn't being picky either. I went and stalked the first you know, branch out of my bull I saw. Mm-hmm. That's, um, yeah, that's how I am. <laughs> so on that, on that, I had a, on that same late hunt, I had a giant, giant bull, probably one of the biggest bulls I've ever seen in my life on the hoof um, that I made a play on and I wasn't able to capitalize. But, huh. I love yeah. this. I love this picture you have on, on your Instagram where uh, 
it's some I don't know if it's you or maybe a client or something. Pack you, you've got you're packing out a a muley and it's still in velvet it looks like and and so yeah that's my pack. guide that's my guide Shane oh is it one of my guides and yeah it's, it's you're walking through the cactus you know and that yeah. I think is what you're implying when you talk about the the Arizona experience that's that's part right. of that that's part of that uh, so that's a really interesting story so that that buck scores 197 and something he's I don't freaking exactly. huge yeah he's a stud that's in a unit that is not known for big mule deer at oh, all really like. It's like a 140 unit, like a uh-huh. 140 inch, you know, typical type. You kill 140 to maybe 150 inch buck, and uh, you know, we pulled that buck out of there, and we had my my client didn't miss. We would have had a buck buck over 200 also no out kidding. of that same unit. So it's a good example. Like, yeah, you know, it's not a great unit. But and your expectation should be this, but just in case, we should, just so you know, we might be able to pull one out. You know, we might be able to pull one off. <laughs> so, oh, that's awesome. What, like, passion-wise, yeah. where where do you fall passion-wise? What what gets you most excited? The doing these guided mule deer hunts, or doing your own mule deer hunts, or guiding for elk, screaming bulls, or coos deer. Talk to us a little bit about that. Um. Yes. All of it, all of it, <laughs> all of it. I knew, I we, were, it I knew we were going to get along, dude. I love it all. I, I mean, listen, if you if you tied me down and said, "Hey, you can only hunt one animal for the rest of your life," you know, one species, whatever. You know, if I could say deer, I would say deer just because of more opportunity everywhere. But in, mm-hmm. in reality, my favorite, I I think elk hunting is still my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I it's but so, I love it all, man. It's I get so crazy. tough. I love ibex hunting. I love I love antelope hunting. I love it. I go to Wyoming. I've I've killed six or seven with my bow, stock spot stock, and one off the of water. What what was that you were saying? That the, was that what what species did you just say? You, you, I, I don't uh, know if you cut pronghorn. out. Or, oh, yeah, gotcha. Pronghorn, antelope, yeah. yeah, I've never I've yeah, never antelope. even tried it. I've never even tried pronghorn. Uh, An- with antelope a bow. is antelope with the bow. Is a must for anybody. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to tell it. you why. It, it is, especially for somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of experience and wants to shorten the learning curve on spot and stalk hunting. Mm-hmm. You see antelope all day long, right? Mm-hmm. And if you go to like Wyoming, places like South Dakota, whatever that have a good populations, right? It's not like deer. When you hunt deer, you spend, I don't know, 80% of the time looking for them and 20% of the time stalking them. Sure. It's the other way around. Antelope hunting. You spend so you get a 80% lot. You get of your time Go back to those bats, and... right? <laughs> you, you get a lot of at-bats. <laughs> I like and, that. And you have to do it with a lot less cover. And you have to do, you know, you have to learn how to play terrain in a really large because usually like what they how they you know the terrain that they occupy is really wide open or mm-hmm. whatever. so you gotta really like look at everything and it really teaches you how how to plan a stock and how to use what you got to get in close enough to make a shot you know yeah and i think it's it's probably the best 
the best hunting for learning how to spot stalk with it. With All a right, you're you're getting me excited for. I'm gonna have to try that because I, I I've never tried it with a bow. I got one with a rifle one time and it was a thirty out six and it jacked up a bunch of the meat and I just I, I don't know it just wasn't yeah, like so you said they, they're in the they're in the country where you can watch your dog run away for three days wide open so a bow would be super challenging. Yeah, see, like antelope to me is one of the toughest for spot stalk. One of the toughest to get is antelope mm-hmm. spot stalk. Because it's also one of the easiest to get with a rifle. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to try it, man. They're pretty jumpy. They're jumpy little buggers. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But if you can shoot 500 yards, it's yep. a no-brainer, right? Exactly. Then, Exactly. I always, I always struggle with that. Find the right one. I always struggle with that whole issue. Um, you know, I because it's like what you were saying and like what I was asking you about. You know, what if you had your druthers? What, what's your favorite hunt kind of thing? My one of my daughters asked me that when we were out whitetail hunting this year, and um, it was November, and she's like, "What's your favorite thing to hunt, Dad?" And and I said, "Whitetail deer, whitetail deer," and that's not true. Uh, it was just whitetail deer in that moment because I was actively yeah. hunting whitetail deer. If you ask me in September, elk are my favorite thing. Uh, yeah. Late October, I'm October. Sa- I'm uh, yeah, yeah. It's just it I'm depends on uh, spring bear. Spring bear are my favorite thing to hunt. You know, <laughs> it just just uh, depends on the season. Yeah. But it's the same kind of thing when you're talking about like and and I want to get your take on this. But, you know, weapon choice. And yeah. because if you ask me when I'm bow hunting, bow hunting is my favorite thing to do. But if I've got a rifle, then all of a sudden that starts going up there because it's a different it's a different mentality. It's a different hunt. And a lot of people are, you know, they're they're purists one way or the other. They're, you know, oh, I'm only a bow hunter. And then to top it off, I'm only a trad bow hunter or I'm only a rifle hunter or I'm only a muzzleload hunter. And man, you you miss out on so much experience Mm -hmm. and and good times and and just the the overall nature of these different hunts is so different like the way you hunt a mule deer with a bow is is different than the way you hunt a mule deer with a with a rifle and they're so much fun both of them to to me in my opinion and i want to get your take on it like i i for me i don't have a favorite method of take i i enjoy all of them and i and I, i i made it see i've been obsessed with bow hunting for like the last 10 years or so but I reminded myself this last season that I'm really good with a rifle. I made a hell of a shot on a mule deer this year, uh, and and got him. And and, it, and like it was it was a proud moment for me because I thought I was pretty rusty with a rifle. Uh, but talk to us about your like philosophy on that. Do you have do you have a take on that? Scree gear. Have you guys checked it out yet? Scree is extreme mountain gear. The high-performance hunting attire, scientifically tested, backed by a great company. It's my go-to camo, and of all the discussion we have about all this uh, infighting amongst hunters about what kind of gear they choose, it's okay to have a favorite, as long as we're not fighting about it. And my favorite and my proven gear is Scree. Scree is spelled S-K-R-E. It's kind of a play on the word from Scree Rock found at the bottom of a cliff face or something like that. And they changed the name, and Scree gear is a complete layering system for all terrain and conditions. Gear designed to adapt to the weather. It's rugged gear, and it's all backed by a lifetime warranty. One of the things I really like about Scree is their VIP sizing and exchange program. Order the wrong size pants, they don't fit right, send them back. They'll send you another pair. It's all on Scree's dime. Guys, it's a great company. Check them out at ScreeGear.com and use the promo code 
the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Hoffman Boots is another show favorite right here at the Western Huntsman. There's lots of good boots out there. Uh, there's a lot of bad boots out there too, but Hoffman is a proven, proven system that I've been using for a few years. Actually, I've been using them for close to a decade now. And I love the company. I love the story of the company. It's like a family of shoemakers. And it's just a great North Idaho story. It's a great American story. They make a great boot without breaking the bank. Check it out at HoffmanBoots.com and use promo code Huntsman10 for 10% off. Don't forget, Phelps Game Calls is my go-to call company. You guys know it. I've been using Phelps for a long time. They're the oldest sponsor on this show. I'd say the flagship line of calls that they have is definitely geared towards elk. And what a great job that they do. But don't forget that Phelps Game Calls also has a full line of like waterfowl calls, predator calls. There's things that you can check out on the Phelps website that might surprise you. To include something that is coming up quick for us hunters, which is spring turkey. And I don't know how many of you are into spring turkey hunting. But man, is it a ball. It's a riot. you got to check it out. I love the black bat from Phelps Game Calls. It works very well for me. It's a great little read. And try out the uh, blacktail in distress call uh, when you're hunting bears. I'd love to hear if somebody calls one in that way. I've tried it a few times with, with no luck yet. But the you know we got a whole new season coming up, and it's coming quick, and I'm going to try it again. So check out phelpsgamecalls.com. Use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. If you check out the westernhuntsman.com, you are going to find anything from t-shirts to Tacticam gear and all of that stuff. A portion of those proceeds is going to go towards conservation and fighting against the anti-hunting movement. Plus, you'll be sporting a cool t-shirt that says a Western Huntsman. And now I'm not the greatest t-shirt designer in the world, but I do have a friend that is. And he helped me put together a couple of really cool t-shirts on there. They're up now at the westernhuntsman.com. And you could check it out. And, guys, it, it supports the show. It helps me pay for all this equipment to get these shows out there. And to top it off, we're going to help fight against the anti-hunting movement. And there's a lot of new information and, and big announcements coming up regarding that from the Western Huntsman. So check it out at thewesternhuntsman.com and get you a T-shirt or get you some Tacticam gear. I'd really appreciate it. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. Um, I'm a bow hunter, but if you ask me, when somebody asks me, I'll say I'm a bow hunter, mm-hmm. you know, because my passion is bow hunting. I do rifle hunting. And, and why, why? And I do enjoy it. Why is it your passion? Why, why is bow hunting? I, I know why it's my, why it's a passion for me, but I, I, I'm, I'm curious, like for, for you, bow hunting, is it? Because of the nature of being up close and personal, is it does it have to do with calling animals in, that or or the level of challenge that it is, or like like what is it for bow hunting? It's it's all those things, but it's also the amount of preparation, the the year long, you know, tinkering and you know. Are are you one uh, of those super technical guys that like dials in? Yeah, FOCs I've become, and I've become yeah I've kind of <laughs> become that way. Have you? I've, I've kind of become that way, but I've always been this like I've always been like I used to be a guy that like here bring it to the bow shop, set it up, give me the freaking bow, and <laughs> but but I would I would still shoot all year round. I was you know mm-hmm. there, there was 
nothing I wouldn't want to do with a bow. Like I, I don't know if you've ever seen any of my videos of me yep. bow hunting for coyotes, right? Yes. Uh, oh no, I haven't seen the coyote ones. I've seen you bow hunting. But yeah. Not for so I, I got to see. I kind of got a little niche of, of followers there because I call coyotes in and I shoot it with a bow. That and is it's like rad. a drive-by shooting. That's I, freaking I, I, rad. I, got, I need to watch those. I got into it because I wanted to better myself as a bow hunter. You know, there was so many times. It actually kind of goes back to New York, or even actually it was actually Illinois was the was the kick in the nuts for me. And I had this buck chasing a doe, and during the rut, it's like a drive-by shooting. Yeah. You know, they oh, yeah. chasing does and. You're trying to get them to stop and they don't stop. So you, you know, you need to be able to pick a spot and, you know, know the range in your head and shoot. Like if they do stop, you know, shooting in a movie. And, yeah. Right. So I'm like, what can I do? I'm like, I'm going to start calling for coyotes. And that's what I was doing. And, you know, eventually I was my, my best shot so far. That <laughs> was 52 yards on, on a trot, you know, but, um, huh. On a coyote, no kidding. but yeah, I, 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 don't, say, I try not to do that anymore. But I is but that now because I've got it down to a kind of a science where I, I could get them to come in within thirty yards, and they usually give me that two three seconds stop. That's all I need. Can you send me that video, or is it just on your YouTube somewhere? Yeah, just go on my YouTube. Okay, yeah. I'll search it out. Just What's the name of that? Bow, just do bow hunting, bow hunting predators, or bow hunting coyotes. Okay, like that. I gotta check that out, dude. I'd I'd love to do that. I have I have the great. Uh, I have a great opportunity to do that here on my property because we have a shit ton of coyotes around here. Oh, yeah. So uh, maybe I'll call them in. I was going to save all the coyotes for my girls to shoot, but uh, maybe I'll put them in the back seat and make him call for me. Yeah, it, and it's, it's really about setup more than anything. Do you do it? Um, are you using like a mouth call for that or you got like no, a Fox Pro? I've done it with a, I've done it with a, mock, a mouth call, but I nine times out of ten, I get um, I get busted. And I don't get a shot off. Because so. I imagine that'd be pretty tough to, to go from the mouth mouth call to draw on a bow back. Yeah, it's not even that. It's They've pinpointed you because they hear exactly where the sound's coming from. Mm-hmm. So any movement that you go to make, they, they've they got you. So you're using I've like done, a Fox Pro or before. something? Yeah, Fox Pro is my, my go-to. I need to get one. i got to quit messing around and just buy one. Yeah, no, there's honestly, I bought one almost 20 years ago. It was the first one that I bought. Uh-huh. And that thing, I still got the original one. That thing has given me more shit eating grin, grins than any <laughs> freaking any piece of equipment I've ever bought in my life. Yeah, that's I, I know. I don't know why I haven't been on that bandwagon ever. I I like I used to be a prolific coyote hunter, but I'd call him in with uh, you know a, a mouth call, right? Uh, and and then stop him. But this was rifle hunting, and I think it's a lot more doable rifle hunting versus I I really want to try this bow thing because if you could hit a coyote with your bow at thirty or forty yards, you're damn sure gonna hit an elk, right? Yeah, and so right. like that's that's a great way. It's like when I was in little league baseball my our coach would show up to to baseball practice with a bunch of softballs so we were we were batting and throwing and pitching and catching a bunch of softballs so when we switch it to a regular baseball it was a lot easier all of a sudden um so it's it's an interesting dynamic when that's that's a great way to practice bow hunting is with through predator well that's been my philosophy all the time is i 
So when I, my first degree in college was my bachelor's was uh, exercise physiology. And, and what was I can't it? even pronounce that. What did you say? Exercise physiology and wellness. <laughs> um, so I was, you know, I was doing strength, con- you know, strength and conditioning coach and mm-hmm. um, studied to become a physical therapist actually. And, um, I got into the whole sports specific training thing. I'm like, well, I can apply this to my bow hunting. And uh, there's tons of videos on me, like me online doing crazy drills, running and shooting and setups and shooting and doing things to like um, mimic conditions or um, situations that I would be faced with in the field mm-hmm. because. I bust my ass to make an opportunity. So when I get there, I don't want to freaking screw it up, right? Sure. And that's always been my thing. I've, I've made up for because I'm not an inherently sneaky person at all. Not exactly. Although my, my wife thinks I'm a ninja. My kids think I'm a ninja. They're sneaking <laughs> around the house without anybody hearing me. But when it comes to stalking animals, I'm not very patient. I am very quiet. I'm very deliberate with my mood, but I'm not very patient which usually screws me up. So I've always made up with it with my ability to shoot. When I have a window of opportunity, whether it's small or not, I've always been able to capitalize on it. Hmm. Now, unfortunately, the last couple of years, my eyesight hasn't been as good as it was. So it takes longer for me to acquire the target. So that, that that little delay has actually screwed me up. And I had I had to make some adjustments, which I have, and and luckily, um, you know, I'm back on track. But I had two years there where I wasn't doing very good. Um, you know. Do you do you think it it's easier to improve your shooting or improve your patience? Because because I think I'm like you, man. Shooting. I I I, I have terrible. What's that? I think it's easier to. I think so too. I think so too. I try to talk myself through it so many damn times. Mm-hmm. And then what ends up happening is I'm super patient for the 75% of the stock that I don't need to be. And yep. then the last 25% I get impatient and then I screw it up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm <laughs> I could have been, been going, I could have been going hard the first 75% and I would, you know, and I would have been fine. And then I, just I'm the same got patient way. the last 25. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's but, where I get sloppy is that last 25%. And I don't care if it's hunting whitetail from a stand or if I'm like, you know, that, that last final moments before a call in, I get, I get sloppy on an elk. And they cost yeah. me because I because I'm impatient. You know this this elk elk encounter has been going on for 30 minutes, and it's like okay, let's let's either wrap this up or, or move on with life. You know, and I, yeah. I wish I can improve upon that because I see guys out there uh, know, that I'm, are. I'm very aggressive when it comes to elk. Yeah, yeah, me too. And and, and I wa- I wasn't I wasn't I was actually not aggressive. What changed for you? Was it just experience? Honestly, hunting with guys that were way better elk hunters than me watching mm-hmm. them and how aggressive they were. Yeah. Um, you know, and even in the last few years that he's gotten, I've gotten even more aggressive because, uh, you know, I was hunting with, uh, the guys from Andrew Spike, um, got to hunt with Paul Medell this year. Um, oh, you did? You got to hunt with Paul? Yeah. Oh, ah, yeah, sweet, man. Yeah. yeah. He drew a tag here in Arizona and I took him out. 
he, I, he's uh, he's, he's been on the show. Awesome. I I want to I want to say that guy. Paul Absolute was is probably the most enthusiastic elk hunter I've ever talked to on. And he's I've the talked most to animated man I've ever yes. met in my life. Yes, yes, he's so <laughs> passionate, man. He gets so yeah. excited. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I love it. I love that kind of, uh, I love that kind of passion in, in a person. And yeah. so that's, that's pretty fantastic. I think what it'd be like a game changer for me is going hunting with uh, a dude like you for elk. I, I feel like that would be a game changer. Um, you know, just, just going with, going with somebody who's just guided and been doing this for so long. And, and, uh, I, I love going with people that a are passionate about it and B are effective, because even even if you go with somebody that's a mediocre elk hunter, you always learn something, and there's so much right. to learn about. And and I keep saying elk hunting. I mean any kind of any kind yeah, of hunting. Yeah. But uh, yeah, obviously I'm I'm really excited about elk. I love I love hunting elk. Um, and so yeah, it'd be super fascinating to come down to that Arizona landscape because where I hunt is such thick timber country. I mean it's a jungle where I hunt. Yeah, I used um, to hunt. Up there, I up by Camii. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm 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 about two and a half, maybe three hours north of there. I'm I'm up okay. closer to Canada, but it's it's oh, wow. it's pretty similar. Uh, I think it yeah. gets a little bit thicker up the further north you go, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's it's pretty similar. It's pretty similar. So that's a great. Yeah. That's a. I, I actually just uh, used. So I, I'm I'm working on a uh, on a book right now, and I, I actually just used a story out of the Camii area. Uh, for for one of the points I was making, so, uh, it, so it's weird how things come up in your life and pop up like that in multiples. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to I want to let's let's shift gears here a little bit. Uh, we're we're getting we're getting about an hour here. I don't I don't want to keep you all day, but uh, actually I don't care. You got COVID. You got nothing else to do, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do want to shift gears. Um, I think the w- one of the reasons we connected, and I, I actually I'm kicking myself. I wish you and I connected a long time ago. Uh, I'd love to get you on for a school of September series episode uh, sure, that, that we do, and we're we're kicking that off again in May, and we we it's a it's a monthly episode bonus episode that we put out school of September. I'm sure you can imagine what that's about. Yep. Gotcha. Um, anyways. Uh, we we kind of connected because of a lot of the stuff that's going on within the hunting space and the anti hunting space. Uh, we've got we've got petitions and legislators uh, or not legislators, anti hunting organization pushing legislators uh, to do things that you and I will disagree with when it comes to hunting and specifically what's under attack this winter is is a lot of predator hunting. Um, yeah. There's there's lots of issues. There's lots of issues going on. You've got a you've got a predator hunt ban uh, being proposed in Arizona. There's one in Colorado. There's an anti-bear hunting ban or legislation or petition or something going on in California. It's not on the same level as SB 252, but it's just as dangerous. Uh, and then and then the Washington one that kicked us off. We've also got issues surrounding the Yellowstone ecosystem with uh, some organizations down there that are that are making some headway with getting um, petitions and numbers on those petitions. For relisting wolves, which is a grave, misguided, uneducated pursuit. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it just it just is. A, it, there is so much information out there to counter that argument. I don't know how anybody with a serious look on their face can pursue that. Anyway, uh, let me digress <laughs> from that before I lose lose it. But that's what we're dealing with. Though. Well, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. I mean, all of this is in. They all of it falls into that. 
all of it falls into yeah. this category where it's this this thing where it's like for some reason predators have more value in their minds than say a deer or an elk or or, uh, or i don't i don't think i don't i don't think it's that at all what I do you think, think it is i think it's a very well coordinated effort they're gonna they're going for low-hanging fruit and but what makes, get rid of that, what makes predators and bears low-hanging fruit? I, I don't understand because, why. Well, this is why it's low-hanging fruit, because one, not all hunters do it, mm-hmm. okay? So you don't have the support that you would have for deer hunting, let's say, which is pretty much everybody who hunts, hunts deer, right? That's a pretty fair point, and, yeah. I mean, of course, there's exceptions, right? But um, that's number one. Number two... It's very easy to get the support of non-hunting public because we supposedly don't eat bears. Or we supposedly don't eat lions. I think there's a lot to to that point. Let's break that down for a second. There, uh, there is a misconception that that people that hunt bears and lions, it's it's strictly what they like to call a trophy hunt. Right. And they don't understand that, with the exception of wolves, when we're talking about this predator hunting, that you know that meat is harvested, that that meat is used, and right. uh, they're they, they don't know what they're missing by not eating it either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, lion's actually very good too. I don't know if you tried it. Mm-hmm. Um, so lion and bear, yes, but typically they're right. We don't eat bobcats. I mean, I have to prove a point. Sure, didn't really love it. Didn't really love it, to be honest with you. I've yeah. tried coyotes. Didn't really love it either. Um, and uh, you know, so they they have they have they feel like they have a leg to stand on, and but they've they've done a really good job of turning these animals into the teddy bears that our kids have on their bed, you know. Mm. And it's once they have once they have this, you know, the non-hunting public, not the anti-hunting, but the non-public has this perception of what lions and bears and bobcats and whatever are, right? And coyotes. Yeah. Coyotes never really fall into this thing because for some reason somehow they're villainized by everybody. So. Yeah, coyotes kind of kind of fall into a different category unless yeah. unless you're talking about the derby hunts. Yeah, uh, that but, well, yeah, we lost that here. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but it's under anyway, assault. So they they they've painted this picture, right? Um, and they've taken the fact that we don't eat it, right? Even though that's not true. There's wanton waste, and we have to, you know, we have to take certain species out of the out of the field and eat the meat. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, and not every not all of us hunters not only not all of us hunters hunt it there's some of us hunters that don't believe it so that's why it's low hanging fruit simple as that like so it's easy but it's a it's I call it the like gateway drug you know it's yeah. easy like let's let's smoke some marijuana now we can move on to you know doing cocaine or whatever yeah, but it, yeah. It, it, and it's funny that I put it that way but it's like um, no, it's but true. It's the truth. You it's know, true. they get their foot in the door with something. And then the other thing about it is they know ecologically that might even force us to have to stop hunting deer or elk. Mm-hmm. Because if the predator population gets so high and it's knocking the prey population down so much, then we don't need 
or we not that we don't need that we can't but they're 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 going to spin it that we don't need to mm-hmm. that we can't take our share of it because the predators are are taking their more than their share and the predator exactly population exactly. is so strong that you know it's it's all a, it's not a over here the other day. It's not a dumb. Um, it's not a dumb strategy. I mean, like no, like you said, no, it's, it, this all. is they're bear hunting. Super smart. Is the and gateway? The yeah, yeah, they got the money, and it's it's the they gateway. They got the money the, to get as smart people, as many smart people as they want. Mm-hmm. And they 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 could pay for the advertising. They can they yeah. can pay for television ads. They could pay for all the stuff, and and it, like you said, it's it's a gateway drug to other hunting. I, I'm glad you put it in that way because because you're very right. Marijuana is a gateway drug to all other uh, liberalism. It's a gateway drug to socialism. You know what whatever you want to say, it, it's right. it's all the same launch pad, and and it starts because they can't just take it on from one person to another on the same scale and, and go after everything because they would lose. But if they start small, the long game is going to end in their favor if we allow them to keep taking bites of this giant horse that they're trying to kill. Right. And I, uh, this and this is a really shitty thing. It sucks. But our only saving grace is, and I, I, I put it quite plainly, is greed. Mm-hmm. The fact that the hunting industry produces so many it's almost if you look at it with all the secondary and tertiary like avenues that generate revenue for different um, industries it's probably close to a trillion dollar industry mm-hmm. like if if we were to wake up and I wave my magic wand and tomorrow no hunting in the United States zero Think about how many jobs lost, how many industries that are tied into hunting, not just hunting manufacturing goods, but like truck sales, ATV. Like how many guys do you know that wouldn't own a truck if they weren't a hunter? How many small town motels would shut down? And and how many? All, all that. You know, all that. All that. It's, it's all part of this economic engine that yes. makes up hunting. And and that is so that's a what saving keeps us grace. viable. Yeah. Yeah. That's what keeps us viable, and that's what our saving grace is. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of it is, this is the ugly truth, is Cusis is a money-making machine. Mm-hmm. And if there was nobody there to fight, they wouldn't be able to take the you know bleeding heart that saw that ad on TV about cute little kittens and whatever. It wouldn't be able to take their money. So this is a complicated one, John, I, because I, yeah, I totally it's, agree. It's a really shitty – HSUS, like, what, what John's referring to, folks, is is the Humane Society of the United States, which we've noted on this show as being public enemy number one. Um, but HSUS, it, mm-hmm. it is – we and we've talked about this a lot. It, this is part of this cottage industry that makes up the anti-hunting movement. It is right. it is a revenue generating machine, and so it's it's this weird dichotomy of they want to generate all this revenue to feed the hearts and emotions of these folks that these anti hunters that want to eliminate hunting to save the animals in their mind, which they're right. wrong. Right. But but were that to happen, it shuts the HSUS down, and they'd have to shift their focus to you know how people treat their dogs. Which well, is yeah, not going to be there's as much other money. industries. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. There's are, there are other industries that they can focus their attention on. But yes, a giant portion of their uh, existence 
is to eliminate hunting. Mm-hmm. Like, and if that went away, that would be a giant blow to their pocketbook for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they they would not have so the like, things that I, they do now. So it's it, uh, and I don't know, you know, I, I always have this like crazy uh, vision of some guy. You know, like the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> Wizard of Oz behind <laughs> behind a you know a, a curtain, yeah. you know, pulling strings and whatever. And but in, in reality, that's the truth. I, that like, is, it is so the truth. It's funny you say that because I I have literally I have literally used that that same scenario that like the the anti hunting movement is run by this secret dude behind these evil uh, curtains and pulling strings. I've used that same analogy. So it's, it's funny you bring that up. I, I, I feel like that a lot of people recognize that. And, yeah. and it's so true. It is so true. There's these, these like, like the, the CEO of HSUS kitty, uh, she, she's making millions of dollars well, laughing all the way. Grand That's just her year. salary. That's just yeah. her salary. We're not talking about all the other revenue sources that this provides oh, yeah. for her. So she's she's making millions of dollars laughing all the way to the bank. I'm so I'm so upset about this. I'm my my hands are going crazy and I hit my mic stand. Uh, laughing all the way to the bank uh, while all these people that don't know anything of substantial um you know when when we're talking about wildlife management and the science behind it. She's preying on, and and not just her, HSUS in general. They are preying on people that don't know anything about wildlife management, not not right. any substantial thing. Right. And and they're she's taking their money, and they're falling yep. for it. And and it's this rotating thing where there's always this new fight. Ah, oh, well that, that you know SB two five two doesn't work in California. Let's go to Colorado, and then we'll mm-hmm. revisit California as this one gains traction in Washington. Well, and, and you it's, know what it's they're just, doing, Cali. What's that? The, the, thing in, the, the new bill in Cali. So check out how sneaky this is. The new bill is they don't want to ban bear hunting. They want California to shut down bear hunting for a number of years while they mm-hmm. do a study to see if uh, if the numbers of bears and the management program is is working correctly. So they're going to get that knocked down, and then. What that's going to do? So people are like, oh, that's not such a bad thing. Okay, yeah, let's let's do that. And we'll, yeah. we'll show them the it's science. Easy way to and, get to support, right? We'll show them the science, and and uh, now bear hunting will, will you know be reinstated, whatever. But <laughs> which what it never will. Is, Once it goes away, no, it's gone. Exactly. Well, the reason why is they're going to come back and be like, well, you see, you said that the deer population would implode if bears were managed and blah, 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 blah. And look, we went three years without bear hunting and the beer population is great. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, that's the kind of, that's the kind of crap that they do. And it's just constant, you know, circus. Well, that's a great way to put it. It's, it, it. The, the secret that the way they're trying to do this is like everything they do is, is propagated. It's, it's so sneaky. Hey, let's just put a hold on it so we could study it as if people have never studied this in the past. I had a guy, Dr. Valerius Geist, on this show that's been studying this yes. since the 1960s. Trust me, the data is already there. There's no reason to further study whether or not hunting bears helps the the general species, all species I'm talking, throughout a landscape. 
It's it's a no-brainer. But to sit there and act like we need all this new information and, and ram it through that way to get support. So people that aren't really anti-hunters, you know, just non-hunters in general, which is about 80% mm-hmm. of the pub, public. Um, you know, that, that's a, that's an easy way to make them swallow this pill. And, and, and then like you said, and like we were just talking about, once that goes away, the bear hunting in California will never come back. It it don't, don't fall for any of this thing where, okay, well back in three years, they're going to bring the data and they're going to be like, oh, okay, I guess bear hunting is good. No, that is not going to happen. That is not going to happen. They will smudge those numbers to a point that is beneficial to their message and their cause and, and their base. And they will say, no, bear hunting is bad. Here's why. And the numbers will yeah. be fudged and you'll never get bear hunting back in the state of California again. So yeah. there's, let me ask you something, uh, John, do you like in the past, I would say in the past 12 months, I've mm-hmm. noticed that hunters are starting to wake up in my opinion. <coughs> and and I want to get your take on it. Uh, I, I feel like hunters are, are, instead of ragging on or ignoring a trapping issue, hunters that don't trap are starting to get involved and they're starting to say, you know what? Uh, the trappers are, are good for what we do. We're all on the same team. This is all the same end game and not on the level. I'd like to see it. I, I think we're just no, starting. I, we're just starting, yeah. but I am yeah, noticing. Yeah, just starting. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, there is definitely, there is definitely a positive movement forward. For um, sure. We are not, I gotta say, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, being, being part of, I was sitting on the board of Alpha Wildlife. So I, I, I kind of, I was super happy. I'm super happy with the amount of people that are getting involved. But at the same time, I was quite disappointed because a lot of people are missing the point. Um, so, and the reason why I say this is, at the time when this emotion hit me that I was really disappointed. We have four four petitions on there. I think there's five or six now, but yeah, I think there's five. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I could be wrong. Uh, I got it. I just got an update from Charles actually. Um, and he, Charles, you're talking the founder of um, How for yeah. Wildlife. Yes. Oh man, I had uh, pulled up. I Colorado sponsor of the the number one Colorado sponsor, or excuse me, the number one co-sponsor of the Colorado bill dropped out. She changed her mind in an email. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, so our, so our efforts are working. Yep. Um, yep. Anyway, so um, the, way, the reason why I felt this like I felt this emotion of disappointment was, again, all these guys were coming on. I said guys. I mean guys and girls when I say guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Colorado had like 6,000 people uh who um took action and then california had like 2500 and about the same for arizona even though arizona was the first one we put up um and washington had like a thousand maybe mm-hmm. and i was like how many how many did defeat? you say how many did you say in arizona like 2500 at the time and then a thousand uh, in Washington. Yeah, something like that. You know, I, I, the numbers might not be right, but the whole point was, was like, they should all have the same amount of numbers across the board. You guys are missing the yeah. point. The reason why we're howling, we're coming together, is that 
you're basically telling me that the people in Colorado are more passionate, the hunters in Colorado are more passionate about their what they're hunting than you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's number one. That's what that's telling me. And number two, that those people in Colorado don't give a shit about everybody else either, right? Yeah. So it's like, man, the, the whole point of this, the whole point of Howlful Wildlife, the reason why Charles and I put this together was so that people will – you know, come together as one and unify their, our strength. Don't let, you know, not letting our diversity tear us apart, but letting our diversity be our strength here and supporting everybody, supporting one another, you know. So do you I, happen to know I, – I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, it's it's critical. It, it, this is going to be critical. And I'm I wonder if – because you, you, we have the same frustrations, but I wonder if maybe we're getting frustrated too soon in terms of the numbers. Because w- what is this thing, like three weeks old? Even. Huh? Not even. Not even. Not even. And and how many members no. have signed up, uh, you know, uh, uh, generally around or whatever? Ah, give me a second. You know? I'll tell you. Yeah, I'll give you. I will pull it up right now. I, there's, a lot, there's a lot of movement on, on social media with it. So, I mean, when Charles and I did the band, the the change.org thing last year mm-hmm. for SB uh, 252, yep. you know, in like five days, we had 27,000 people. I know. And there was, was, was and awesome. there was $20,000 in donations. Yeah. I did. That. And, you know, we were hoping and all that money went to change.org. So we couldn't do anything with that. Mm. Um, but... So we wanted to, we were hoping, man, I, listen, I'm not, um, there's something like 50,000 actions have gone out. 50,000. Um, so that's like a 50,000 emails have been sent right. kind of uh-huh. thing. Yeah, so yeah. actual becoming, coming a member, we're a little over 10,000 okay. and dollars wise, we're, we're under 10,000. So le- less than a dollar per person. Well, that's one of the things the website is doing there is it's it's not asking – a big part of it is, is I think, getting this group kind of off the ground without asking for money. But it's going to need money. It's going to need oh, money. It, it does, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to tell you right now um, – yeah, I, I, this is the second time I've said it on a podcast. And I, but the only reason why I'm saying it is because – we don't want it. We don't want to ask. We don't want to be that organization constantly with our hand out and stuff like that. But it takes a lot of money to run this. Like absolutely, and, and, and you're going to have to at, at some point. Yeah. So, um, how come it, man? It's weird. On my laptop, it never recognizes my thing to sign in for How for Wildlife, but on my phone, it does. Anyway, huh. um, I'll go back and fix that later. It's it's going to take money, and we're going to have to because you know HSUS they're not shy about asking for money, and and they no. put that money to use, and we need the money to fight this stuff. And I love the platform of How for Wildlife in a sense that it, it it could take somebody who's caught up in their job and their kids and their marriage and their mortgage and their minivan and all, all this other stuff that likes to haunt, you know it, they could they could they could spend five minutes on this site and send emails to five different issues. Cause we were talking about right. that earlier. There's five right now. They just added the Beagle yep. issue in, I can't even remember what I, New Hampshire. New or Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so that, that there's five, and you go on there, you sign in, you sign up for a free account, become a member, um, and and then you could you could just add your name to these lists, and the email gets sent out. It's a very mm-hmm. effective way. Think about that. In a few weeks, fifty thousand emails have been sent out. Think about that. That that's that's a massive amount. However, yep. when you compare it to the the amount of hunters that we have in the United States and Canada, it's uh, tiny. It's, it's tiny. It's tiny. We we need to step it up. And and I think that I, I think that that's what I was getting at earlier, is I've I've noticed a shift. Like the last five years, you know, and I since I and I've been doing the the Western Huntsman as a platform for a while. Uh, between between writing the, the the blogs that used to happen and and I don't I don't really write blogs anymore, but um, everything else. That, it was so hard to get people to to shift and commit to fighting this anti hunting thing. Like I, I would put this stuff out and I felt like it just wasn't making a dent. And then there was other platforms that were a lot bigger than mine putting this stuff out, wasn't even making a dent. And yeah. and the last twelve months or so, um, I, I've noticed this shift where people are starting to pay attention to it. They're they're starting to wake up. And I think that that is going to be the little wave that's going to turn into the tsunami down the road. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so once all the cool kids start talking about it, yeah, yeah, it'll be all right. Because I mean, like to give you an idea, um, you know, we talked about Paul Vidal. Okay. He's one of my most popular guests that I have on. When mm-hmm. I, when I usually do a podcast with Paul Vidal, it'll have somewhere between 18 to 25,000 downloads. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. If I do a, so I just did this one with Charles. The the day that we launched, the day that we launched, uh, how I did a, pod, a podcast with uh, Charles and with uh, with Ryan Smith from <clears throat> Hunt AZ, mm-hmm. because we 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 brought how we launched it fast because of the Arizona thing, right? Yep. We saw the need. We're like, we have to do this. We can't. We can't hold on anymore. We were trying to iron out some other things or whatever. But so uh, I bring this up. So we brought. I launched that on January 11th. So mm-hmm. the site is six days old. Yeah. Okay. Not a couple weeks. Six days. Oh, gotcha. Days. I for some reason okay. thought it had been a couple weeks, but you're right. It is. It is no. only. Yeah. It's a week. So it's been a week that it's been live, and I just told you what eighteen to twenty five thousand, uh-huh. and it's only got about eighteen hundred downloads. Oh wow, that that particular podcast versus talking or sending out. Uh, yeah, and the, the title is Hill. Arizona Lion, Bear, and Bobcat Band. Yeah, yeah. Just to, just to give you an idea how much. No, I know. I, people don't give a crap. I, I know. I, 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 th- I think. I think it's it's such a valid point. Um, I because I did I did three or four episodes last winter when SB two fifty two came out. Uh, I even had Bill Gaines uh, from for down from Cal. He's like a pro hunting lobbyist down in down in California. Super cool yes. dude. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, had him on, and I thought, man, that's gonna be that's gonna. That's going to help. That's going to make people, you know, wake up. And But it, that episode got like 30% less downloads than yeah. my regular episodes do. And yeah. and so I get it. The, the thing that we want to listen to 
are, you know, we, we love having the elk nut on our podcast, right? We, we love talking mm-hmm. elk hunting. We love talking yeah. how to call in a bull, how to, how to sneak up on a mule deer. I, I am I, I am just as guilty. I, I would much rather be talking about that right, than what we are talking about. But if yeah, we don't talk fun. about it, yeah, it's more fun. It's 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 sexier, it's more fun, it's it's more entertaining, and it's yeah. more helpful to what we want to do, which is not to tag. So I get that. But we also have a responsibility to future generations to help make sure that those future generations yeah. have this opportunity so they don't look back at us and think what a bunch of pussies man like they didn't stand up for this they didn't do anything right. all they wanted to do was listen to the you know elk hunting conversations and not how to stop these anti-hunters and now look at me we can't hunt you know what i mean right. like i and yeah. don't anybody send me nasty emails I, I feel like i'm saying this on like every i'm doing this disclaimer on on every episode now. Don't send me a bunch of emails that I called everybody a bunch of pussies. That's not what I'm doing. I am saying that we are going to prevent ourselves from being called a bunch of pussies by future generations because we are too pussy to do anything about it. Sorry for right. the language, folks, but I do no, mark explicit that's, that's on true. all of mine. And well, I, I'll tell you one of the things that we're we're, we're trying to do. Listen, so we don't beat the dead horse, right? Yeah. One of the things that we're trying to do with how is we're we're going to have an initiative here that's. Um, basically the 80-20, right? 80% of the time, your Instagram, your Facebook, whatever you you go about your life doing it, 20% of the time, start promoting the North American wildlife conservation model. You know, start promoting powerful wildlife, start promoting hunting and conservation. Taking 20% of your of your posts and 20% of, and just everybody starts getting into this habit of doing that. It's yeah. going to go a long way, a really long way in changing the narrative. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and changing the perception of people who are on the outside looking in. Yep. And those are things that we need to do. Like there's so, I mean, there's a lot of things we need to do. One of the next uh, petitions that we're throwing out petitions, but actions that we're going to put out um, is working on, the foxes guarding the hen houses, you know, and that's the that's a major problem right now is that a lot of western states, some back east, um, I don't know about the Midwest because I've looked into it all too much, but I will before we put it up, is that we have people who are in positions of power on game and fish commissions, especially or within the game and fish department, that are not necessarily pro hunting mm-hmm. and not necessarily sportsmen and that's a problem yep you you should not have that authority you should not be appointed by the governor most of most states are you know that's an appointed position to be on the uh, came the fish commission is an appointed some of them are elected i believe but i don't know enough of them. It's, i don't know enough about it yet but have the you problem seen is, is there some go ahead have you seen the commissioners in Washington? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's the epitome Perfect of what example. you're saying. It's like these people have no these – are, these are people that are philosophically going to most likely be against hunting because right. of exactly. – for philosophical reasons, not science, not emotion, not anything else. It's just a philosophical thing in their head, and they've, they've got one named Lorna Smith. 
that has no business being on a wildlife management commission board. Like it's such a lopsided thing in the state of Washington and how they get their, their, these, uh, that governor Inslee puts on the, the, the as a, as commissioners, gosh, I'm, <laughs> I get so excited, man. I, I got to right. slow down. Uh, anyway. Yeah, no, that, that's the epitome. So that's, that's the next step. Mm-hmm. There's that, you know, and, and, uh, I'm trying to figure out who the decision makers would be to kind of get, that's a full scale thing. That's because something's got to happen within each state, you know, it's got to be a state yeah. law. Uh, and it might just be, you know, just systematically go state to state. That might be, Jesus, I don't know what kind of a process that would be, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to get, get in touch with the, the, uh, congressional sportsman's Alliance and, um, figure out something with them on that. But, I always try to compare um, it, you know, what, and, and this might be helpful to you guys, John, is, is you know, look at the Idaho Wildlife or uh, Fish and Game Commissioners. Mm-hmm. These these are not people that all hunters are going to agree with at all times. Right. But they are inherently and philosophically pro-hunting. See, that's important. You need it's, that. it's important. It's they There is some level of passion for the outdoors and sportsmen and, and hunting and fishing and trapping and all these things. There's something on the positive side with all of our commissioners that make this thing work. And does that mean that they pass, you know, or, or they, they do things that hunters love every time they do something? No, it doesn't no, because no, that, no. you know, but those are people problems, right? Th- those are people problems. And, and it's, it's, you can't, you, it's okay. We're not talking about people problems here. It's we okay need, to we have need to talk about uh, people that are going to protect Protect. Oh, I keep saying it. The North American Wildlife Conservation Model. Yeah, that's the, the model of that conservation. That that's that's yeah. what we need. That's what we need. You know, like exactly. in like in Idaho, I think that the, an important point with our commissioners is, you know, one of the biggest things that we worry about that that Idaho hunters complain about based on you know just following social media <laughs> is mm-hmm. is the fact that we can't use lighted knocks. That's what we worry about in Idaho. Okay, uh, well, that's the argument everywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah, and I try to rally some people over here in Arizona, and they're they're all disgusted right now because they work so hard trying to not get their trail cameras banned, and the trail cameras got banned, and now they don't want to. Yeah, now they don't want to. Do well, what's the point? What's yeah. the point? What's yeah. the point? Well, the point is, okay, that was you know a uh, somebody trying to play both sides, and they won, and mm-hmm. you know, and somebody. It wasn't necessarily something that, you know, hold on, back up a little bit. This is something that Charles said, says all the time that makes perfect sense. Wildlife, protection of wildlife and sound science is apolitical, right? Yep. There's no politics. It's you want to see, you know, you want to see life on wildlife on the landscape. You want to be able to hunt them. You want to be able to view them. You want to be able to. It's apolitical. Just this is what needs to happen. Follow the science, right? The problem is when you get into stuff like, you know, wearing orange in Colorado or the trail camera stuff, this becomes a, a point because nobody's going to argue, right? The two hunters are not going to argue that they want to see more elk, right? Nobody's going to, nobody's going to argue about that. Yeah. Yeah. But one, one hunter might argue with another, like, ah, I really don't care if I have to wear orange during archery season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, see, you see where I'm going with this? Like yep. the, some guys, like ah, I hate these trail camera things. It's just let all these outfitters make you know, 
you know, sell their hunts and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So there's those things. You you can't take those into account. Well, you know, that's why, that's why Hal doesn't really get involved in those uh, directly. I do personally. Yeah. Well, because you and I are, you and I are active hunters. You, You and I are active hunters. I think, I think one of the things with Hal for wildlife is, is, Showing non-hunters and anti-hunters that hunters do have a unified voice. If if we work together, we can have a unified voice. We can have right. all the dissent in the world about whether or not we want trail cameras or lighted knocks. But right. my point to that was that's our biggest problem in the state of Idaho right now. And that's because we have a commission that is mainly pro-hunting. Our commissioners are pro-hunters. And yeah. so when, when you have a state like Washington that has some uh, clearly anti-hunting sentiment within the commission, mm-hmm. that's where the, we're running up. And, and we run into these things where, you know, there's not a legislative bear ban in the state of uh, Washington. But, hey, our commission came in and said we're canceling bear season. Okay, that makes sense. If mm-hmm. this thing doesn't get reversed, Washington has a very, very small dismal chance of a spring bear hunt ever coming back. It's, it's, I mean, that's just how it's, it's just like what is talked about on a myriad of of topics. You know, once, once the government gets a certain amount of power, they're never going to give that back. Once the, a bill is passed, it's, it's hard to get that bill, uh, you know, reversed, almost impossible. Once that money is being uh, spent, you know, from, from a, a government entity that it's hard to change that down the road these things get just ingrained into the system and reversing it is just like really muddying up the waters and nobody wants to do it and and so yeah i there's there's so much to unpack with this uh yeah i know we could sit on here for hours and hours and hours talking about it there is so main the main the main message here is we need to show a reunited front we need to recognize the things that really require our our focus and our energy, like wildlife management, those are things that need to not losing hunting privileges. Those are the things we need to focus. We don't need mm-hmm. to be losing sleep over, you know, light of knocks and stuff like that. It's just the same thing I was telling people. Oh, you guys argue about, you know, who's wearing sick and who's wearing Kuyu and this and that. It's stupid shit. Like, oh, that's great banter and debate to have around the campfire with your buddies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's but it's great for that don't you know don't spend so much energy and time on it you spend 35 minutes a day on freaking facebook bitching about that shit when you can be spending 30 minutes a day trying to save hunting yeah. so that you can wear the whatever freaking so we can like so we can <laughs> fight about our, our camo yeah. choices you know that right. and exactly. that's, that's the point exactly. it's the it's the bigger issue. It's the bigger issue that we got to focus on. We can't yeah. worry about how the bacon's going to taste if we don't have the pig. You know, you know what I mean. Right. And so yeah. there are 15.2 million hunters in the state of, or in the United States. Like yeah. we need more than 10,000 voices signed up on Howl for Wildlife. Uh, oh, yeah. That's the Think matter that we're huge talking about. That would about. be if there was 15 million people. What's that? Think about how huge that would be if we have 15 million members yeah if everybody if, was if, on alpha even if every we time had a half of up. that even if we had half of that if we had like seven and a half million people signed up for on how for wildlife 
how many how much power would that be when HSUS that's not used to this kind of opposition goes in with with some sponsorship of SB 252 in California and all of a sudden bam 7.5 million emails come in uh, to these legislators what is that going to tell them what kind of message is that going to say and and how how would that counter HSUS who has that kind of uh, those kind of numbers and that kind of funding it would be right. huge absolutely it'd be huge even even if the politician okay even if the politician that is the decision maker is inherently anti-hunting they're still politicians and they still recognize that their that their constituents constituents are Mm-hmm. The ones that pay their freaking paycheck and are going to possibly reelect them. They don't want to piss people off. Exactly. Okay? Their exactly. goal is to make the most people happy. And get and reelected. If you're the most people. Exactly. If you're the most amount of people, then they're you're the people that is they're going to try to make happy. So th- that. it's it's such a simple concept, and, and, and a lot of people are trying to overcomplicate this, but what you just said is a simplified version of, of the obvious. When you're talking about there's 15 million hunters in the United States, that is not taking into account that there are millions upon millions of people that are pro-hunting on top of that. Meaning, you know, like, yes. I'll give you a great example. My wife doesn't hunt. So is she counted within the uh, 15.2 million hunting licenses or license holders in the United States? No, she's not counted in that. But she gives me a hard time if I don't bring home enough deer meat for her to, uh, because she uh, – we count on that. We, we love deer meat. We love mm-hmm. wild game meat. And so if I'm, you know, having a year where I'm being lazy or I'm focused in other areas and not, not notching any tags, man, I'm going to, I'm going to catch a line of crap from her. And so, mm-hmm. uh, think about that and how many grandmas and grandpas that don't hunt anymore that used to hunt or how many family members that would love to get into hunting, but haven't had the opportunity. Those, right. th- we have the numbers. So that, that is what I think I get so frustrated with this whole topic of anti-hunting versus hunting and, and, and anti-hunting legislation. We have the numbers, we have the data, and we have the common sense of the American spirit on our side. And, and, we and, and the, we're getting we our industry. ass kicked by extremists. And we have the industry. We have the industry. Yeah, that's a great one to add to that Billions of list. dollars. That's a great okay. one to list. Billions of dollars within an industry and yeah. an economic engine. Right. And But yet we're getting our asses kicked by PETA and, and HSUS. And, and yeah. that is what I am hoping to make an impact in turning around. People like you are going to help do that. And, and people like uh, Charles that started How for Wildlife, th- that's how this thing is going to get turned around because we have it all. We have the stuff we need. We just need to put all the stuff in the same basket and start carrying it in the same direction. Absolutely. So, John, we're we're going super long, man. I yeah. appreciate that was a fun conversation. <laughs> yeah, uh, I had a good time. I, I I appreciate you coming on and and uh, I, I I want everybody to let's see. Let me pull this back up. I've I've got like three different computer screens going right here. Um, so howforwildlife.org. Obviously, guys, we've talked about this the last few episodes. Uh, go go to wildlife or I'm sorry, howforwildlife.org, uh, and start a free account. Just put your name and email, and I think it asks for, you know, like the state you live in and stuff like that. Uh, sign up. Uh, in five minutes, you can have emails and, and making an impact in five different states with five different issues that are regarding anti-hunting. Mm-hmm. 
Super easy. Uh, John Stallone, your Instagram handle is at John Stallone, right? Yep. John Stallone. And uh, go – I'll have that in the show notes, guys. I'll, I'll have wildlife – or I'm sorry, how for wildlife org uh, in, the, in the show notes as well. It's all going to be – I'm trying to make this as easy for everybody as possible uh, to jump on there and, and uh, get after it. Get after it. Let's let's join a fight and, and join us. There's there's 15 million of us. Um, we we got it. We got it. We got the stuff on our side. Anything? Sure. Uh, any closing thoughts there, John? No, you said it all, man. Uh, thanks to everybody for who's gotten involved and uh, hopefully uh, get some more of your friends and family in in on it and yeah, we'll uh, we'll win this. Yeah, that's a great point, man. If you if you guys if you guys listening have somebody a family member. That uh, you know, a non-hunter that's that's not really engaged in the in the hunting space, but you know they're they're all for it. They always ask you at Thanksgiving how your hunting season went, or are pretty enthusiastic about listening to your hunting stories. Ask them to sign up for How for Wildlife. Uh, it, it's just a I, I, this is how we're going to grow this. So John, again, man, I hope you get better soon. Um, Thank you. <laughs> don't let the Rona keep we'll go you lay down. Right now. <laughs> you I got let, a little too heated. Yeah. A lot out of me. Yeah, me too, man. Except for I don't have the Rona. Uh, but so I appreciate you doing that, man. Uh, let's stay, let's stay in touch. And, uh, thanks again. Everybody check out John Stallone on Instagram and check, you can go to the link tree there and check out all the websites. And, and, uh, I can't wait to check out your bow hunting coyote hunt. Um, and, uh, we'll talk soon again, man. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. made it all the way to the end thank you so much for tuning into the show we sure appreciate your support this is jim huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at instagram at the western huntsman and on facebook at the western huntsman and you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com thanks again we'll see you guys next time stay western and i'll see you on the mountain